Well, welcome, everybody. Welcome to Christian Challenge Week 3. Uh, how, what's the, uh, like, you know, on a scale of like, eh, to eh, like, what's the stress and sickness level? Like, who here would say, like, got it, nothing's going, you know, poorly? Or who would say I'm, like, somewhat stressed already at, in week three? Like, anybody? Okay. What, who's, like, anyone, like, sick? Or maybe, maybe you don't, okay, maybe you don't want to admit to that. Um, who thinks they could potentially get sick in the near future? Anyone, like, kind of on the verge of that a little bit? Yeah? Okay. <clears throat> I would say I'd love to meet you afterwards, but I actually don't want to. Um, but meet someone else here tonight uh, and get to know them. Um, hey, well, let me, just, uh, let me just pray for us quick as we get going, because, you know, sometimes um, it can be difficult to focus when you've got lots of other things in your mind or... Lots of other bad cells running inside your body. So, um, Father, thank you so much for uh, each one of the, the men and women here tonight. And um, God, you are a God of healing, and you're also a God of peace. And so I really do pray for uh, both of those, for the people here tonight in focus. And God, that you would begin to <clears throat> heal their bodies uh, and keep them from getting sick if they're not sick. And uh, for the ones that are already feeling like uh, Christmas break is coming gone too soon and they can't wait for summer. Um, help them to persevere and to focus and to figure out what they need to do and just help them begin to trust you day by day with that. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, so tonight we're going to be talking about, uh, continuing the series on a life of worship. We're going to talk about a life of worship, uh, particularly in the area of thinking. And so to start off, I want you to turn to the person next to you and talk for about a minute about this, this question up here. Uh, or it's actually a statement, but I want you to talk about, do you think this is true or false? Behavior modification is the same thing as inner transformation. Now, I'm not saying it's true, but I'm not saying it's not true. Uh, I want you guys to talk about that, and then I'll give you my thoughts in a second. I want to hear your thoughts, too. So take about a minute, talk to the person next to you, and then we'll come back. All right, let's come back. Let's come back. Um, how many of you guys think that that statement is false? Raise your hand. Okay. So the overwhelming majority of you guys. Um, yeah, I would agree. Uh, I would agree that that is false. I would love to hear uh, for, you know, later on for the people that think it's true, but after tonight, you tell me if you think you agree with that still. Um, you know, the reality is, uh, while behavior modification plays a part in uh, inner transformation, it's actually not the same thing. Um, and you guys really, when you think about this, you know this to be true in everyday life. Like, you know, there'll be instances when uh, growing up, your parents, uh, because they were your authority and you, you know, feared consequences, they would tell you to do something in a certain way and you thought, that's not the best way to do it or I don't agree with that. But you would do it because they're your parents. And you're like, begrudgingly, you would modify your behavior to do what they told you to do. Uh, or maybe you've had, you know, we've all probably had that professor in writing 150 or some other class that said, I want you to write in this certain style. And you think, that is not the best style to write in. And they go, but that's a style I like, <laughs> you know. Or I, I think this would be an important topic to write, uh, to, you know, write about. And you're thinking, that's a 
really terrible topic. You know, I'd rather write about this. They go, but I want you to write on this. And you go, I will write on that, and I will enjoy it, and I will choose that style. And afterwards, you're thinking, I still think my way of writing is better, but you wanted to get the grade like we all did, so you, you know, modified your behavior in order to get the grade, and you moved on. And, you know, there's, there's other areas in life where, that, where that's true, um, and you just see that behavior modification is really not the same thing as inner transformation. Um, and, that's, and that's okay uh, to, you know, sometimes do that with your parents and sometimes do that with professors or other situations where, you know, there's going to be times when you're actually, you actually do know uh, what's better than, than they're saying. And so, but you don't want to rock the boat too much, so you kind of modify behavior just to, you know, move on. Uh, but that is a mistake that you don't want to make with God. Uh, because, see, God actually um, knows better than you all the time. Uh, he is, he's actually uh, the most wise, all-knowing person ever. There's never going to be a situation where you're going to go, yeah, but God, had you considered these options? He goes, yep, considered them all. Every imaginable one and even one you could never imagine. Thought about all of them. You know. But did you have these details when you were making those? Yep, all the details. In fact, details you can't even see. I have those details. Really? And so, so your way's best. Yeah, my way's best. Um, so there's never a time when you can go, you know what, actually, I think I know better than God, because that's just really not true. But yeah, oftentimes, I think it's, it's easy sometimes to fall into that rut of thinking, ah, I think I know better than God. So how do we avoid making that mistake? That's, that's going to be part of what we're talking about tonight. Um, a central verse, starting off, a central verse we talked about in this series so far is this one up on the screen. It's Romans 12, 1 and 2. Uh, and as we were talking about a life of worship, we talked about this is a crucial verse to understand. It says, therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Now, the second part of the verse, it talks about how we're not to be conformed to the patterns of this world, but we're to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And what Paul is, and it's in, in Paul's lingo, what he's saying there is, hey guys, behavior modification is, uh, to the world is not the same thing as inner transformation. That, you need inner transformation. Then you need the renewing of your mind. You know, that, that word conform in the, uh, in the Greek, is, it's this idea of like to squeeze into a mold. You know, my kids uh, play with, Play-Doh a lot. We have Play-Doh all over places, you know, in our rug, under our couch, all of this stuff. But, but we're constantly buying Play-Doh because they don't put the lids on like I tell them and it dries out. But um, all I have to say is they play with Play-Doh a ton. They mix the colors and we have all sorts of little gadgets for them to, you know, squeeze it into spaghetti and squeeze and do cut in and put in all sorts of molds. But, you know, whatever they put it into, you know, whatever size they, they squeeze it into, whatever mold, it, it's still Play-Doh at the end of the day. You know, it hasn't changed. And, and he's saying, and that's what Paul's saying. He's guys, don't be squeezed into the mold of, of the world around you. He says, instead, you actually want to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And that idea of transform, that word of the Greek is also, it's where we get the word metamorphosis. He's, he's actually saying, you need to change into something else. You need to change into something else. Um, and really, it's God's desire. One of the things you see in Scripture is God really desires that we would be transformed, that we would be changed into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. So one of the things you see is God is really not satisfied, uh, nor does he really feel worshipped if all we do is just modify our behavior. 
Um, he, he, he wants us to go deeper than that, which is why, you know, he says in Matthew 15, 8 and 9, you know, Jesus is speaking. He says, these people honor me with their lips. They honor me with their lips, but their hearts, you know, their, their minds, their, their inner thoughts, they're, it's, they're far from me. You know, they worship me in vain. I don't even consider that worship, is what he's saying. They worship me in vain, and their teachings are merely human rules. See, if God was just satisfied with behavior modification, I mean, he could scare the bejesus out of all of us to get us to modify our behavior, to really do what he wanted us to do. I mean, can you imagine if there was this giant, you know, every time someone, like, said a cuss word or was mean, there was this giant finger that came out of the sky and just squashed that person right where they were. And you're like, what happened to Johnny? Oh, he, you know, told an off-color joke. Oh, no, you know. What happened to, you know, so-and-so? Oh, well, they, they lied, you know. Really, you know, would that get you to modify your behavior for a little bit? Yeah, for a bit. Yeah, it definitely would. But eventually, eventually, you know, what would be true of all of us is we'd, we'd begin to go back uh, into different ways, and our, our thinking wouldn't change. Our just, just our behavior would be modified for a time. Because, you know, as the old adage goes, you know, a person convinced against their will is really of the same opinion still. Um, see, when you, when you just modify behavior, but you don't, change your way of thinking, you don't really have any transformation, what you're really kind of saying, and maybe you haven't thought about it in these terms before, but what you're really kind of saying to God is, God, I, I take you seriously enough. You know, I believe that you're strong enough that you could inflict pain on my life if I don't do what you say, so I will modify my behavior to not have said pain inflicted on me, but I don't trust your thinking in ways enough that I'm actually going to choose your way of thinking. I still think my way is better. I just happen to think you're stronger, so I'm going to do what you tell me to do, you know. And God's saying, that's, that's not it, guys. That's not what I'm satisfied with. And not only that, but really, when you, uh, when you don't change the way you're thinking, that really begins to go against also one of the things we talked about last week, which is, you know, part of our purpose uh, of knowing and loving, glorifying God. You know, to love God, you actually really have to obey him and trust him. And to not change your thinking is saying, God, I don't trust you. I don't think your way of, of doing things is better. So what does worshiping God with our thinking really look like? Um, well, a working definition I want us to work off a little bit tonight and, and unpack a bit is this right here. I, I think we worship God with our thinking when we follow his way of life because we've come to know and trust that his way is best, and we prefer it. We're going to talk about each of those, uh, some of those different words here in a bit, not, not all of them, but, but let, let, I want to say it one more time just so we're all on the same page, and just so I know, like, if you're not paying attention, at least maybe you're, you're, you're reading this. So let's say it together. We worship God with our thinking. All right, everyone. We worship God with our thinking when we follow his way of life, because we've come to know and trust that his way is best and prefer it. And really, this is not just like a, a switch you flip on, like, all right, done, next, you know, like kind of thing. This is actually a process that will take place over time. And, uh, but it's something that you can actually continue to make progress in over the course of your life. And so, uh, so what I want to do for tonight is I, I want to kind of talk about what this process looks like um, and then I want to just give some, some stories from, uh, from my life, just to kind of give you a little visual of, like, what, what's that look like in everyday life? How does that get flushed out? Um, so the first part of the process is we have to begin to know what God's way of life really looks like in different areas. 
you know, you have to actually get to know it. And a prerequisite to that is you actually have to choose humility. Um, we actually have to humble ourselves because we have to come to the realization that actually, you know what? God's ways of thinking and doing life are actually quite different than mine. Uh, you know, he's not just a bigger version of me. He's not just a stronger version of me. He actually is, his thoughts and his ways completely different. And Isaiah picks up on this here in Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. He says, uh, this is God speaking about, and he says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. See, if that's true, then no one in this room, including myself, we can't intuitively figure out what God's ways are or what God's ways of thinking are. Why? Because they're completely foreign to us. So we actually have to search out and really get to knowing God's word what are his ways of thinking about different areas of life. How does he do different life? What, is he, what does he think is important? What does he not think is important? How does he live? And you, and, we, and you get to do that, you know, as you're getting in God's word personally. You know, one of the reasons we have, we encourage people to get in God's word personally or to, to be involved in small groups to get to know God's word or to be here like on Thursday night or at church or something is that you're continuing to get opportunities to really get to know, man, what does God's word have to say about his ways of thinking and his words? And, and what we're trying to do in this first step is you're trying to gain knowledge. You know, key word here, you're trying to gain knowledge from God of what he's like, you know, and how he's designed different areas of your life um, and how to live life because he's the one that created life. He's the one that created you. Hosea 4.6, uh, <clears throat> you know, this is God speaking too. He says, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge, you know. They're not destroyed for fill in the blank, you know, other things, uh, you know, faith and all that stuff. I mean, faith's important, but faith in what? You gotta, you actually have to know something that you're putting your faith in. And so God says, my people, they, they don't, they've rejected knowledge of me, they don't have knowledge of me, and because they don't have knowledge of me and my ways, they're on the path of destruction. So it's vital that we really actually begin to pursue knowledge. Like, what does God's word have to say about this? Now, there's two kinds of knowledge now <clears throat> that you're gonna need to, to learn in this stage. And uh, they, they build on each other, uh, but there's two different ones. The first is, is just the idea of kind of informational knowledge, right? I mean, that's just kind of, you're, you're reading things, you're, you're learning information. It's kind of facts and information, but it's not, it's not going to be what you really cling to. That's not the thing that's really going to transform you from the inside out, but it's essential. You need to learn what God's word has to say. But the second type of knowledge is experiential knowledge. Experiential knowledge. Um, and this is vital because, you know, Experiential knowledge, that's going to be something you're going to cling to. That's something that's going to really affect, you know, you're going to experience kind of with all five of the senses of what life is like. You know, which is why, you know, Psalm 34, 8, some of you guys know this. You know, notice it doesn't say read and learn that the Lord is good. You know, read the Bible and learn that the Lord is good. No, it says taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see that the Lord is good. See, when you've tasted and you've seen, when you've heard God and then you've experienced the reality of putting the practice of what he said, then you, it's not just a category of true for you anymore where you're like, oh, okay, I, that's some information. That's probably true. But it, it, it gets in a category of real where you're like, this is real life. This is how life really goes. For instance, you might gain some informational knowledge. You know, I know this is true for me. Uh, you maybe read the Bible and you re come across a phrase like in Proverbs where it says, um, you know, he who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. And you go, huh. 
gain some new information. He refreshes others, will himself be refreshed. And then you seek to begin refreshing other people in different areas of your life. And what you start to find out is, in various ways, God is looking to see that you get refreshed. And you go, huh, that's really, that's experiential knowledge now. You're like, that, I've seen that to actually be true. Or, or a friend of mine, you know, I, uh, this past Sunday at church, a friend of mine, um, he's a new dad. And uh, his, his son is, is two weeks old. And so we're talking after church for a second. And, you know, it's, I, I don't like to revel in people's pain, but, you know, I like it when they have shared pain with me. And uh, so, it's, uh, so I said, how's it going? And, uh, and he goes, uh, well, you know, it's, <clears throat> it's going good. I mean, you know, we haven't experienced anything yet at this point that uh, we weren't told we'd experience, but I go, but now you're actually gaining some experiential knowledge, aren't you? And he goes, that's exactly right. <laughs> and I go, that's just why you're so tired. You know, I mean, you know, it, does, it doesn't make you that tired to learn how to be a parent, but it makes you tired to actually be a parent and stuff. And so I was like, well, yeah, now you're, you're getting to see what people meant when they said, you know, parenting is difficult. And so, uh, but you'll get it. And so, you know, that, that was experiential knowledge for him. Before, he just had informational knowledge about it. So the first part of the process is really getting to know what God's way of life looks like in different areas of your life through really gaining informational, experiential knowledge about it. Um, and this really leads into the second part of our definition, which is the second part of the process is beginning to not only know what God says, but beginning to trust that his way is really best. Beginning to trust that his way is really best. And we begin to move towards uh, trusting him as we begin to have experiential uh, knowledge put into practice in, every, in everyday life. Uh, as we begin to put into practice the things we learn from God's word, that's how you really begin to get traction in really learning how to, to trust that what he has to say is true. You know, in John 8, 31 and 32, Jesus kind of speaks this idea. He says, so Jesus, it says, so Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed in him, if you continue in my word, then you are truly with the disciples of mine. And you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Now, I imagine, like, many of you for sure have heard the back half of that statement. You know, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Anyone, you know, pop quiz, uh, anyone know, like, where that's written on a wall here on campus? Does anyone know? You know? Any guys that, you know, Ben? Close. No. Well, actually not close. Um, but, uh, no, it's... Uh, over on Mud Hall, actually, in the philosophy building, there, there's a, it may be on Doheny too, who knows, uh, but, but, because there's different verses on Doheny, but over in Mud Hall, there actually is a part of, the, when you walk in the entrance right there on the, on the wall, it says, you know, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free, or maybe it just says the truth will set you free, I'm not sure exactly, but, um, but the thing is, you know, I think a lot of people read that, but they totally don't understand it because they don't understand the context in which it was said. You know, this, this is the verse, you know, you're like, oh, did Je Jesus was the one that actually said that. That's right, Jesus one said that. And uh, so, and, and what he's saying here, to understand the statement, you're reading his context, and what Jesus is saying is, man, if you will begin to put into practice, if you'll begin to put into practice the knowledge of my word, what I am teaching you about life, uh, not just talk about it, not just read it, not just give intellectual affirmation to it, but if you actually begin to put it into practice in your life, those people are really truly my disciples. And those people are really going to know the truth, and that truth will really set them free. Now, why will it make them free? What's it going to make them free about? Well, because 
they're going to begin to see and they're going to begin to think and they're going to begin to know how reality really works and how life really works because what they're going to find is, wow, Jesus' ways are actually really lined up with reality because he created reality. Like, go figure, you know? Like, and so they're going to see, like, wow, this is really true. I'm not, I'm not on the, you know, hamster wheel of life just aimlessly wandering over and over again. I'm actually, I can begin to make some traction here. This is how life works. And when you begin to put his teaching into practice over time, you begin to know not only intellectually but really experientially, wow, God's word's trustworthy, and it really is the best way to handle different areas of life. But see, the opposite is also true. What Jesus is saying is that, you know, you will not know it to be true, and you won't be able to trust it if you don't choose to put it into practice. You know, and one of the other things, I, uh, real quick before we move on to the next point, just on the idea of, of, you know, beginning to build trust in God's ways, uh, one of the things you discover as you, or you will discover, hopefully, as you uh, put God's word into practice is not only that it's reliable, but you begin to see that it's reliable because it really originates out of the character and the competence and the commitment of God. Uh, you know, he, he really is the perfection of all the character you know, traits that you want to be true of your life. He's the perfection of those because those originated with him. You know, they come out of him. Uh, he, he really is completely competent because he's just so wise and powerful, and there's really nothing he can't accomplish. If he wants to do it, he, he'll do it. And he's also really committed to, to his glory and to really our best way, so we can really trust that he's going to lead us on a path that's really best for us. And see, as you begin to trust God by putting his ways into practice, his character and competence and his commitment really are kind of on display, and you begin, it begins to build your trust even more, which makes you want to put his ways into practice even more, and it's a snowball effect where I'm just building trust more and more and more. And then the final step of this process is learning to worship God with our thinking, uh, as we, as we, or in, in learning to worship God with our thinking, is as we sought to really know his way of life and learn to trust that his way is best and put into practice, is we begin to prefer it. We begin to prefer it. This is where you start to realize over time in your thinking, wow, like in these different arenas of life that I've chosen to trust God in, his way of thinking is just a lot better than mine. <laughs> you know, his, his way of doing things is just a lot better. Um, and you start to slowly let go of your way of thinking and you start to slowly cling on to his way of thinking. This is what the Bible calls repentance. Uh, you know, repentance means you actually begin so you're going one way, and then you stop, and you begin, and you change your way of thinking, and you choose to go a different direction because you've chosen a different preference. You know, so to prefer God's way of thinking and living means that you actually repent of your ways of thinking and living, and you choose to go His way. And I'll say it again. You know, to prefer God's way of thinking and living means you repent of your way of thinking and living, and you go after God's way. And so in areas of life where you discover you don't know what God's way of thinking and living is, you, you, you choose to search that out. You choose to search it out and to really begin to know it and over time to trust it as you put it into practice and then eventually get to the point where you actually prefer it. And see, if, you, if you'll get to this, in, in various areas of life, if you get to this stage of thinking where you're choosing to, to do life this way, one of the things that's true of you, you find it doesn't stem out of, you know, behavior modification just because you're afraid of, uh, 
of God, um, you know, it really, no, it, it begins, it stems out of a renewed mind. It stems out of a new mind where you're really, you really do think a different way. You really do prefer a different way, and, you have, and you're being inwardly transformed to where, another way of saying it is you, you really, you stop living out of an ought to life, you know, I ought to do that, and you start living out of like, I want to. You know, no, I actually want to do that, you know. I ought to do this to actually, no, that, that just makes sense. I want to live that way. That, I, I, I want to do that. And like I said, this, this is a process. This is not like a flip a switch one time kind of thing. This is something you're going to have to learn over and over again. And not, you're going to have to learn over and over again, sometimes in the same area and then in each different area of your life. And I think personally from experience and probably many of you that try this could say the same thing. I think part of the reason for that is just we're just a little too stubborn and a little too slow to trust to just learn it one time on one area and have it spill over into all the other areas of our life. Like, I wish that was true. I think the reality is, no, it's, it's going to take time. It's going to take time to begin to know God's ways in different areas of life, to put into practice and trust it, and then to begin to prefer that and, you know, choose to repent of our ways of thinking. But the great thing is God's really patient with us. You know, he doesn't have a massive finger that comes down and squashes you every time you choose to not do his way. You know, instead, he's patient with you, and he's helping you. And because he's convinced, once, this, once my, you know, kids down there begin to realize that my way is best, they're going to want my ways. They're going to prefer it. Um, you know, Paul picks up on this in Romans 2, 4, where he says, you know, it's actually God's kindness that leads us to repentance. Uh, you know, it's not our fear of his power, although we ought to take his power seriously. Um, but it's actually God's kindness. It's his kindness to work with us that really leads us to really changing our thinking rather than just modifying our behavior. Um, so what does this look like, you know, in life situations? How does this process work its way out? Well, I want, I want to tell you a few stories um, just how this has kind of worked out over the course in, in my life in some different areas. And I'll start with a very, you know, fun stage of junior high. Uh, I got a story from junior high. And um, so, you know, typical junior high uh, student at that point in life, you know, nobody perfectly, I don't, I don't know anyone that said junior high was one of their favorite times in life, you know. Um, but, you know, maybe for some of you that, that was a peaking period, but uh, for me it wasn't. And, um, you know, in junior high, uh, one of the things actually, though, that was beginning to go well, which, you know, if you knew my life growing up to that point, I was a pain in the butt, you know, um, still kind of am, but, uh, but I was even more so then, and, you know, my siblings, I'd, you know, fight with them all the time, I'd get them to go against each other, I was really good at that, kind of like, go get them, yeah, you know, yeah. and so like, I'd <laughs> kick them while they're down, you know, and, and, uh, um, and my parents probably, you know, took years off their life just because I was the worst, and, um, but, uh, one of the things I began to kind of do for the first time in junior high was I began to kind of get some somewhat regular time for the status of junior high kid, uh, where I began to get in the Bible on my own for the first time and really begin to figure out, okay, what does God's word say about how to live in different areas of life? Um, and I do that in just kind of small increments over time. And one of the things I discovered about myself was I have a wrong way of thinking about authority. Imagine that, a junior high kid having a wrong view of authority. Um, <clears throat> no one does that. And, you know, it's one of those things where I, I started to realize, like, you know, 
I somewhat fear, you know, authority. I take it seriously to a degree, like my parents and other people. But honestly, I think sometimes, you know, authorities, particularly my parents, were just kind of just a killjoy. Like, you know, they, I didn't really understand why they would sometimes say yes to certain things and no to other things or some of the rules they put in place. And overall, I was just kind of like, I think they're just trying to squash my fun, you know, and make my life harder. And, um, and then as I began to get in God's word and had numerous conversations with my parents, uh, one of the things that I began to learn was actually, my parents are actually for me, you know? Imagine that. Like, like I, and I, I vividly remember a time when I, that kind of started to click over and I thought, I actually think they have my best interest in mind. You know, now that may seem like a, honestly, that may seem like a, like, well, duh. No, but honestly, that was a, that was a life-changing moment for me, I thought. They're not thinking what would be fun, and you can't do that. They're actually, like, they have my best interest in mind. And one of the things I began to learn about the different rules that they had put in place in life was that there's, they weren't capricious. There was always for one of two reasons, either to protect me or to provide for me. You know, and that's actually true of God's law, too. You know, when God has things he puts in place, it's always for your protection or for your provision. And that, and that really began to, to change the dynamic there with uh, my relationship with my parents and other authorities. You know, I didn't butt heads near as much, and junior high wasn't quite as scarring as it could have been otherwise. And, you know, and then moving into high school, you know, <clears throat> I, I continued to, um, over time, begin to get time in God's Word and try to begin to put it in practice and learn to trust and prefer it. And one of the things I discovered was that in high school is I had a wrong view on dating. Imagine that, a high school student having a wrong view and understanding on dating. And, you know, there was there this, uh, this girl, I'll, 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 she'll, she'll remain nameless, but uh, her name's in my notes, but I thought, nah, we'll just leave that off. Um, and anyway, you know, uh, I was a junior, and she was a senior, and uh, I guess I have a pattern of going after older women, but, um, and she... You know, from a high school vantage point, she really had kind of, you know, the, the whole package. I mean, she was beautiful. She was really fun and easy to talk to. She was president of the ASB. She was, you know, varsity captain on, in volleyball and, you know, basketball. She uh, got accepted to both Harvard and Stanford and decided to go to Stanford because, you know, Harvard's a little too cold. And um, makes sense. But a very interesting, you know, and extra thing about her is she happened to have a liking for moi right here. <laughs> yeah, and uh, I know. Wasn't much to choose from in high school. Um, but, and so I, you know, began to notice over time, and I thought, she's not too bad either. And uh, so I said, hey, so-and-so, do you want to uh, go on a date? And she said, sure. Um, and before this time when we went on our date, uh, you know, word got back to my parents, because I hadn't told them, because, you know, that whole fully trusting your parents, I hadn't fully set in all this situation yet, but, you know, it got back to them that I probably one of my siblings blabbered it. And, uh, <laughs> you know, and so I remember talking to my dad, and um, he goes, I, I hear you're thinking about going on a date with uh, this girl. And I go, yeah, how'd you hear about that? And, uh, <laughs> um, and so we started, ta we talked about it for a little bit. And one of, you know, he's asking me things about her. And so I'm telling her some of these things. And, uh, and he goes, is she, a, is she a Christian? Is she a follower of Jesus? And I go, well, you know, she's really nice, you know. <laughs> and uh, and uh, he goes, well, that's nice. That's good, you know. That's, uh, 
but, but is, she, is she a Christian? And I go, well, you know, president of ASB, you know, da-da-da. Like, yeah, well, that's great, great things. But is she a follower of Jesus? And I was like, well, I don't think so. You know, as best I can tell, I'm pretty sure she's not. Uh, in fact, I, was, I knew she wasn't. And, um, and so he said, okay, well. And see, one of the things that my dad knew at a much deeper level at that time that I had begun to learn, but he was reminding me of was, you know what, actually, uh, God's pretty clear. You, you, you should not marry, uh, a Christian should not marry someone who's not a Christian for the reason being because they share a very different set of values. And their, and their lives are going to eventually go in very different directions. And, you know, historically, what tends to happen um, with someone when a, people violate that law is typically the person who does not, uh, is not a follower of Jesus tends to kind of win the battle of the values of the household. And life kind of goes in that direction. And the person who is a Christian usually, usually ends up not really following God much at all. And, uh, and now you may be thinking, well, Okay, that's marriage, but this is a first date, and this is high school, Jeremy. And I think, yeah, but, um, you know, I have it on fairly good authority that most of you are going to marry someone that you date. Uh, you know, think about that. Um, unless you opt for arranged marriage, which, you know, the longer I'm a parent, I'm thinking that's a pretty good idea. Um, who could pick a better person for my kids than me? Uh, nobody. Um, now, uh, and so, you know, the reality is if you're going to, if, if I was going to, as a, as a follower of Jesus, stay, uh, you know, live out of the reality of I, I am going to marry, I do want to marry someone that is a follower of Jesus, then, you know, backtrack that. Why would I choose to then date someone who wasn't? Because then I would be kind of violating sort of a basic idea, principle of romantic relationships, which is you, you you date someone because of who they are, not who you hope they become, you know? Like, I mean, like, if you date someone that, uh, you know, all of us eventually are going to hopefully grow to some point. Hopefully you are not stagnant in the exact same person that you are at 18 that you are at 30-something years old. You know, you'll begin to grow and change some. But honestly, uh, to date someone who I knew I was going to, you know, I'm committed to marrying a, a, someone who is a follower of Christ, and this person, what I'm saying on the onset is, hey, by the way, this isn't going to go very far unless you do make a radical shift on your value system and begin to follow Jesus. Just wanted you to know that, by the way. Like, that would not be very fair for her or very loving and not be very wise for me because I'm already starting with this premise of like, whoa, whoa, listen, we're not getting too close too much. You've got to make some radical shifts. Like, that doesn't really give her a comfortable space to decide if she actually wants to do it in the first place, you know, in the context of dating. And so I had to regretfully, I was like, that's right. And so I, I went and had a conversation with her before we went on our date and said, hey, you know, um, I don't think we should go on a date after all. And, uh, and, you know, I didn't give her all the reasons why. I, I just left it fairly ambiguous like most high school relationships end anyway. And, um, you know, and we, we, we stayed friends. And, you know, hey, I'm 17. What am I going to do? Um, we stayed friends. <laughs> And, uh, but we just didn't choose to go on dates after that. Um, and, you know, honestly, that really, uh, that was really helpful. Because, see, when I got to college and I began to live out of reality that, and I saw the pain that it was causing different people who really did go down that path, I was like, wow, 
so glad I chose that, you know, like, um, and eventually it really began to keep me off some roads that I didn't want to be on, and it really put me on a path where eventually I got to date this really awesome girl named Katie, who some of you guys now know to be my wife, and so it, it actually worked out. Um, now, while I was in college, I was a part of a ministry like this called, uh, uh, I was back, it was the Christian Challenge at the university I was at, the University of Oklahoma, but... Um, but, you know, while I was in that, I was also beginning to get in God's Word, too, in small groups and in large group settings and on my own. And it turns out I learned another thing about myself. I had a wrong view of um, the success of other people around me. You know, I, would, you know, I was working, uh, you know, 20 hours a week to, you know, pay for room and board and stuff like that. I mean, I was taking out loans. I had friends that had no job, had a lot more time on their hands. They, you know, their parents were bankrolling in college. I mean, there, and, and then just there are lots of other things. So I started to get kind of bitter a little bit and, bit and jealous. And none of you guys have ever done this, but you know, I'm shallow. And, um, and so whenever people would just, life was going well for them, I had a really hard time just celebrating them. Uh, instead, I would just be like, dang it, why don't I have that in my life, you know, and stuff. And, uh, and so over time, though, one of the things God began to, to show me was, wow, that really ruins relationships. I mean, Talk about a relationship killer, you know, just every single time that happens. And then I also began to come across verses like, you know, Philippians 4.19, where, where it says that, you know, Christ actually is going to meet all of our needs. Like, we don't have to worry about that. And so, so I began to realize, man, I don't have to compare myself. I don't have to, to worry about these things. And, and I just thought I can really begin to present my request to God and leave it in his hands. And in his timing, he'll decide what would be good for me and when and how, and I'll just walk with him on that. And then as, I, as you began to combine that, as I began to combine that with another thing I began to learn in God's Word, just the idea of just learning to be thankful for the things that you have in your life, like that, that actually began to free me up where I could genuinely celebrate someone else by the grace of God and not just be like, that's awesome, you have a new car, you know, my car's not even running, you know, and stuff like that. Like, I was really excited for people. That was really fun. One more story, and then we'll wrap up here. Um, is that okay? One more story. I'm going to do it anyway because, um, you know, I have the mic. Uh, uh, so, you know, one of the things, though, about that, of learning to celebrate um, other people when they have something that you don't and learning to um, thank God and praise God even when, you know, you're not getting what you want, uh, that, I, I didn't realize how important that would be and how immensely helpful that would be, you know, in my mid to late 20s. Because, see, you know, my, my wife, Katie, and I, uh, you know, we dated throughout college, and then we got married about a year after college. Uh, and then about a year and a half into marriage, we said, you know, we want to start trying to have kids. We want to have a family. And so we got pregnant pretty quickly, actually. Uh, and then we were like, all right, this is really exciting. But then, you know, shortly thereafter, we actually uh, went through a really devastating time. We, we lost our first kid. You know, we had our first miscarriage. And, and actually, the, the night of our first miscarriage, it was the... Uh, it was the challenge Christmas party of that year, and we were getting all dressed, and Katie was not feeling well, and so we went to the emergency room, and, you know, we lost our first kid that first night, and so that was really hard, um, and then we spent about the next several years of just not a lot going on in the way of, you know, being able to get pregnant. I mean, we were, we were doing everything we could, trying different, you know, uh, fertility things and stuff like that, and just nothing, and, uh, and one of the interesting things about that, too, during that time was we had a lot of friends that were newly married, and they were beginning to have kids. Uh, and, I mean, I had this one friend. I mean, 
him and his wife would just talk about it, like, hey, maybe we, oh, she's already pregnant. And like, how is that how possible? <laughs> like, every time you even mentioned the idea of, like, that's amazing, you know, and fertile myrtle over there. And, um, you know, but, but honestly, though, one of the things, one of the things that was also kind of interesting about that thing was sometimes, you know, I think people are used to uh, people not celebrating well when they don't have something. So sometimes people would, uh, you know, come up to us and kind of like sort of shyly be like, by the way, we're pregnant. And I was like, that's awesome. You know, that's great. And like, it doesn't sting a little bit, honestly. And, and honestly, this is not, this is really just because being able to trust God and God working my life for a time, not anything to say about me. I, I could honestly say just, I was like, I'm, I'm not mad about that at all. Like, why would the fact that we haven't had kids yet make me not excited that you guys are? That's so cool. Like, congratulations. I'm really excited for you guys. Um, and then, and then, you know, in the summer of 2014, I was leading a, one of our challenge mission trip teams to Germany, and I think I had only been there about 24 hours. And when when I get a, I can't remember if it was an email or something like that from from Katie, and she tells me like like I'm pregnant, and I was like, oh right, this is awesome, like she's pregnant, this is so cool, and I think I'm the dad, you know. And uh, <laughs> um, I was pretty sure, pretty sure. Um, we did DNA tests later, but. Um, but, you know, shortly thereafter, uh, you know, about a week or so plus later into the trip, I get another call, and she tells me I lost the baby. You know, that was a, we, had, uh, we had another miscarriage. And, uh, and, that, was, and that was hard. You know, hard because it was a second miscarriage. Hard also because I was halfway across the world and wasn't there to be with her and just kind of, you know, walk with her through that. And uh, so I don't remember why we weren't able to talk right then, but I told her, hey, I'll... I'll I'll FaceTime you, you know, tomorrow morning, um, it's a different time zones and everything, and, and we'll, we'll talk, and I, I want to just hear how you're doing and stuff. Um, so I got up early the next morning. We were in the city of Braunschweig, and, uh, you know, it was like 6 in the morning, and I just I got on this bike that they had given me, and I'm riding around the city trying to find some sort of internet cafe or something that had Wi-Fi that I could get onto and, like, and talk to her and stuff, and... Um, and, you know, I'm, 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 I'm beginning... There's no one around, so I feel the freedom just... Let it flow. And so I'm just, you know, crying about things going on. Just, uh, and it's, it's raining, so, you know, that's okay. Cause people aren't sure if it's tears or rain at that point. And, uh, um, but, you know, one of the things that, um, you know, the Holy Spirit really kind of, I think, just brought to mind was uh, a song that many of you guys, you know, you probably sung before. It's a really special song to me, particularly because of this. But it's a song, you know, Bless the Lord, O My Soul. And, uh, and that was just something that I just began to sing over and over and over again to myself and to God during that, that morning as I was trying to find somewhere to, you know, get on Wi-Fi. And I was just, you know, it says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, O my soul, worship his holy name. You know, sing like never before, O my soul, you know, I will worship your holy name. And then it has other parts to it. But, you know, that was something I began to sing over and over because I, just to remind myself of what I knew to be true, which was God is good, you know, he is in control, and he is not going to rip me off. And that was not, you know, by the grace of God, behavior modification. It really was like, okay, I am, this is a lot of pain, but I know this to be true, and so I'm going to declare it. I'm going to praise God. There's nothing here not to praise about. I need to praise God because he still is the same God before this happened as he will be after it happened. You know, now in God's kindness, uh, about four and a half years 
and you guys, you know, many of you know this, but about four and a half years after we started trying to have a kid, we finally had our first kid. You know, we had our daughter, Corey. Um, and then about two and a half years later, we had our son, William. Um, and then here this April, we, we'll be welcoming into the world our, our daughter, Ruth, that we're going to be having, hopefully, at the end of April. Um, but see, you know, back in the summer of 2014, I didn't know that. Uh, all, all I knew was uh, what God had shown me up to that point. Um, and I didn't have this perspective on it at the time, but as I began to look back at some of those experiences I described tonight, um, and I began to, you know, that process that we talked about, beginning to renew your mind, was taking place. Um, and still is, you know, in different areas of my life, even now. You know, two things really began to, uh, that stood out to me. One, as I look back, you know, behavior modification alone was not going uh, to have allowed me to get through those different situations, at least not with, without regrets. I would have made some really different choices. Um, and two, while, while along the way, as I'm beginning to learn, you know, God's ways and becoming more and more convinced that what he has to say and how he says to live is really true and trustworthy, and I'm beginning to, you know, realize, God, you are brilliant. Like, not only are you good, but you're brilliant. Like, of course that makes sense. Like, your way makes sense. And I'm slowly beginning to prefer it in different areas of my life. It's still a process, but I'm slowly beginning to prefer it. Which goes back, you know, to our working definition that we talked about tonight, which is we worship God with our thinking when we follow his way of life because we've, become, we've come to know and to trust that his way is best and we prefer it. See, when you begin to think differently, you begin to speak differently. When you begin to think differently, you begin to act differently. Your response is different, which you know, goes back to what we also talked about in week one uh, of just our working definition of worship in general, which is worship is our response, both personal and corporate, to God for who he is and for what he has done expressed in and by the things we say and the way we live. See, if you're going to live a life of worship, which is what we're talking about in this series, you've got to change the way you think. Um, you can't just change your behavior. And if you do, one of the things you're going to find, which is a really cool thing, is you're going to find that you actually begin to enjoy your life a lot more. You know, you get to enjoy your life a whole lot more. This, this is, you're, you're not doing it out of pure duty. You're doing it because you're like, yeah, I'm want to do that. That, that makes sense. You, you begin to live an integrated life. And more importantly, God begins to get the, the, the worship and the praise that actually he's due. Not just with the words of your lips or just with your actions because you've forced yourself for a time to modify behavior, but actually with your thinking, you begin to live as a whole person, you know, where you begin to love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength, and you actually prefer it. So, Begin to change the way you're thinking, and you can actually begin to learn to worship God in, in a better way. So let me pray for us, and then we'll have to invite the band to come back up. Father, I, um, I just want to, again, just say it in front of all these people. You are the smartest, um, wisest, strongest, kindest person that's ever lived. And God, I really do pray that that would be something that would be true uh, or seem to be true in the lives of these people. Because if they don't think you're the smartest, wisest person, they're thinking someone else is. And they're going to take their cues from them. And so, God, I really do pray that over time, you would be really 
gaining worship from our thinking because we have learned to not only know your word informationally and experientially, but as we've put it into practice and seen it to be true and seen it to be the best, God, we have come to prefer your way to where worship with our lives and worship with our words is not forced, but is a natural response of the, uh, where, we, where we arrive at. Like, how could, you, how could anybody's way be better than that? And God, I pray that that would be true of these people slowly but surely, that they would be patient with themselves because you were patient with them. And God, thank you for your kindness that you work with us along the way to help us get to that point. So may you be worshiped, God, not only with the words of our mouths, but with the meditations of our hearts for the rest of our lives. And praise in Jesus' name. Amen.